Amen. Well, he is all we need, is he not? Amen. How many of y'all found that to be true in your life? He has all that we need. Amen. So much more, all and so much more that we'll ever need. What a blessing. I praise the Lord for that. All right. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me now, if you will, this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, this morning. That's page number 1114, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And uh, some very familiar verses this morning, but I'm just going to read a couple of them here in a little bit as we make our way through the message this morning. John chapter number 1. Thank you again for being here. Now, these are busy days, a lot going on around church right now. The children's program, again, will be on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, so you don't want to miss that. That's always a, 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 just a special treat during this time of the year when the children get up and have their program. And then next Sunday night, the choir will have the adult program. And then the following Tuesday night, which will be on Christmas Eve, we'll be having our carols by candlelight service here. Now, I get it. I know a lot of people are busy on Christmas Eve with family stuff going on. But if you don't have family stuff going on, we'd invite you to come be a part of that service, 7 o'clock on that Tuesday night of Christmas Eve for our Christmas Eve service. And so a lot going on. Please make this a matter of prayer as we move forward. All right? The Gospel of John, chapter number 1. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. These are Christmas days. I want to apologize for all these men sitting up here on the staff that they, they're not ready for Christmas. I'm the only one that's really dressed for Christmas this morning. Bunch of Scrooges sitting up here this morning. Isn't that a sight? I'm the only one in here in the Christmas spirit on this platform this morning. And uh, these guys up here, y'all pray for them that they'll get a little bit of the Christmas joy uh, before it passes them by. All right. John chapter 1, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. If you think back over the last two, now three Sunday mornings, then you may recall that we are currently involved in a series of sermons that I am calling Christmasology. Christmasology, and I've got to confess again that I have made that word up. You can't find that word in the dictionary, but I made that word up because any time you see the suffix O-L-O-G-Y, or as we would say, ology, on the end of a word, it always means the study of a certain subject. Just like we say meteorology is the study of weather, or we say sociology is the study of man, and geology is the study of the earth, then when I say Christmasology, I'm talking about the study of Christmas. Now, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about snowmen, I'm not talking about reindeers, and I'm not talking about elves. No, sir, I'm talking about what the Bible says about the subject of Christmas. Now, I think for us, those of us that are saved this morning, Christmas for the child of God ought to be a subject that is very near and dear to our hearts because of what happened 2,000 years ago on Christmas really set in motion God's great plan for providing salvation for all of humanity. Or let me say it like this. Listen to this. Because there's a Christmas, there's an Easter. Am I right? I mean, had there never been a Christmas, there would have never been an Easter. And so in reality, what we're doing during this time of the year is we're celebrating the fact that what eventually culminated in, in, in Easter all began on Christmas as, as God's one great big long plan for the redemption of all of humanity, the study of Christmas or Christmasology. Now, we started two weeks ago today 
we started in this study of, of Christmas where the Bible starts. And, and so we looked a little bit on that Sunday at what we called the genealogy of Christmas. The genealogy of Christmas. You see, the Bible starts with the Christmas story with a bunch of names. And it starts talking about the family tree of the Lord Jesus. That's what all those names are about. Back in Matthew chapter 1, those first 18 verses, all those names are mentioned as being in the family tree or the genealogy of our Savior. Now, of course, we looked at that in great detail two weeks ago. We talked about, man, uh, is there a lot of guilt in the family tree of Jesus? And is there a lot of grief in the family tree of Jesus. You know, I understand there are people sitting here this morning and you're eat up with guilt because of some bad decision you made, something that you've done that's wrong, it's been totally out of the will of God, totally against the Bible, and you sit here this morning and you are eat up with guilt because of what you've done. There are others of us in this room today and there's a lot of grief in our life. Maybe that guilt, the thing that we have done, has not only brought guilt into our life, but it's brought a lot of grief. And boy, God only knows the tears you've shed over the direction that your life is going in right now. Because, listen, ladies and gentlemen, guilt always produces grief, and grief is the end result of guilt. Anytime we go against God, there's going to be sorrow in our life. The end result of sin is sorrow. Just as sure as day follows night, night follows day, just as sure as water is wet and cold is cold and hot is hot. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? Just as sure as uh, heat is hot and uh, ice is cold and, uh, and uh, uh, water is wet, the end result of sin will always be sorrow. But I'm glad I can tell you that not only the family tree of Jesus is their guilt and grief, but aren't you glad there's grace in that genealogical line of the Lord Jesus. You see, were it not for grace, none of those people could have got into the family tree of Jesus. And were it not for grace, none of us could be in the family of God either. And if you're here this morning, you say, how can I become a member of the family of God? One word, grace. God's grace. We looked at the genealogy of Christmas. But then last week, boy, we took it a step further, and we looked secondly at the biology of Christmas. And in that message, we talked last week about the virgin birth of our Savior. How that Mary, Mary was a young lady who had never known a man. That word known, that's a sexual connotation. She had never had a relationship with a man, and yet the Bible said that she was going to conceive the holy child, the holy Son of God. And we look, how could that happen? A man and a woman, a woman who had never known a man, how in the world could that woman produce a child? You know, and I, by the way, I get that. I understand that because you and I know, as older people, we know the facts of life. I mean, we know biology a little bit about that, and we know a little bit about the facts of life. And uh, we know that the female produces the egg, the male produces the fertilization of that egg, and when that happens, a conception takes place. But it takes both the man and the woman. I get that. Boy, it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around how that a virgin could produce a child. And ladies and gentlemen, that's still pretty much to this day. People deny the virgin birth. They dismiss the virgin birth. They doubt the virgin birth. And by the way, that was even true in the days of Jesus. 
People, even in Jesus' day, doubted his virgin birth. In fact, on one occasion, let me show you what a bunch of people said to Jesus. In John chapter 8 and verse number 41, Jesus, uh, you do the deeds of your father, then said they unto him. Now watch this. Jesus said, hey, you folks, you know why you do what you do? Because you're just doing, you've inherited a sinful nature from your parents. Then they said to Jesus, wait a minute, Jesus. We be not born of fornication. You know what they were saying? No, we're not born like that, but Jesus, you are. They doubted, they denied, they dismissed the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And can I say, not only was that true in the days of Jesus, but in our days, it's true as well. People still doubt, deny, and dismiss the virgin birth of our Savior. I was reading this week, in the news, and just recently, there's this, there's this Christmas card uh, company that's really come under fire because of a Christmas card that they presented. I was telling my family about it last night. And on the front of the card, it has a picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in kind of a manger scene. And then under it, underneath that, it has the caption, It's time for Mary to confess up. Now, I'll tell you something, friend. That's borderline blasphemy right there. You and I know that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of the living God. You say, Preacher, how in the world could that happen? I'm glad you asked, because right here is how it happened. The Bible said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. We know, according to the Bible, the Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin Mary and placed within the confines of her womb the holy seed of God so that something happened that has never happened before or since. A virgin gave birth to a child. The child was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Christmas biology. Now, we've looked at Christmas genealogy. We've looked at Christmas biology, but I want to take this a step further this morning. So this morning, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about the theology of Christmas. Now, you know the theo, anytime you read that, Theo, that's the word for God. Ology, put that on the end of that. It's the study of God. Well, this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about God's perspective of Christmas. What does God have to say about Christmas? So let's this morning, very simple. It's 1036. I got three statements I want to make about the theology of Christmas. What God says about Christmas. Are you ready? Statement number one is this. Statement number one is, Jesus is God, that's revelation. Jesus is God, that's revelation. Now, let me prove this to you. Look at John chapter 1. I had you open the Bible there. Let me read verse 1 and verse number 2. Here's what the Bible said. In the beginning was the Word. And then notice this next phrase. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Let me go ahead and read verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, among the many things we get from that, that statement right there, Jesus is God, the Bible affirms the fact, God affirms the fact that that little baby born in that manger on that Christmas morn was and is, is God. Jesus is 
God. Now, if you don't believe that, read again verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I guess we've got to stop for just a moment because there may be some people sitting here and say, Preacher, number one, what is the Word? Or number two, who is the Word? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because when we read our Bible, sometimes Jesus, another name for Jesus, another title for Jesus is, Jesus is the Word. Now, let me prove that to you. I'm not just pulling that statement out of thin air. Let me prove that to you. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 13, the Bible, when speaking about Jesus coming back to this earth, now, we know he's going to come back in the clouds. Seven years later, he's coming back to the earth. And the Bible said that when he comes back to the earth, he's going to be clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, meaning that he's coming back for vengeance. And the Bible said, and his name is called. Say it with me now. His name is called the Word of God. Now, that's Jesus. Jesus, another name for Jesus, is the Word of God. That's why we encourage you to read your Bible. Now, there's two types of the Word. There's the inspired Word. That's the Bible. That's what you have in your lap this morning. That's the inspired Word of God. But then there's also the not only the inspired Word, but the incarnate Word. That's the Lord Jesus. So in reality, when I encourage you, hey, read your Bible every day, what you're doing is you read the Bible, you're spending time with Jesus. You know why? Jesus is the Word of God. Can I have an Amen. So when you and I read the Bible, Jesus is talking to us. When we spend time every day reading the Word of God, we're spending time with Jesus because Jesus is the Word. Now let's read it like this. John 1, 1. I'm doing the Scripture, no harm. Let's read it like this. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus... I say number one... Jesus is God. That's revelation. Now, the whole reason that Jesus, God, became man was to reveal to you and I what the Father was like, was to reveal the Father to us. Now, if you doubt that, look over at verse 18, same chapter, John chapter 1, verse 18, and we read these words, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father... He hath declared him. That word declared is what I'm doing this morning in a way. It's the word exegesis or exegete. Uh, it, many times in the Greek language, when somebody is said to be preaching, they are said to be exegeting. They're, they're communicating the word to bring it into reality. Jesus came into this world to bring God into reality. Jesus was not just a replica of God. Jesus was in reality God, and he came to reveal to us what God was like. Now, let me tell you something. Apart from the fact that, that God chose to reveal himself to humanity, humanity would have never known what God was like. In fact, let me tell you this. Humanity would have never even known God had not God in his mercy and grace chosen to reveal himself to us. The only way you and I know God is that God chose to let us know that he was. Now, there's three ways that God chose to reveal himself to us. Number one, through the skies. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So in other words, every night when you and I walk out and look up, if I, if I didn't even know, if I, knew, if I didn't have a Bible, if there was no church, 
whatsoever, nothing around me, and I never even knew there was a God. When I looked out, walked out at night, looked up into heaven, I see all the galaxies and the stars and the constellations. I think to myself, you know, this just couldn't have happened. I mean, there just wasn't a, 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 a bang and all this happened. There's got to be an intelligent designer there's got to be somebody up there somewhere who did all this. It just didn't happen. Am I making sense now? When I look at that piano over there, when I look at that piano, I know that piano just didn't happen. There was not just some woods laying out, some wood laying out in a, in a field one day and some metal and some strings and some ivory laying out in the field one day and one day those things begin to inch a little closer together. And they inched and they inched, and in the process of millions and millions of years, they got so close, and voila, there's a baby grand piano. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you believe that, you've got more faith than I do. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer, to be a Christian. No, sir, when I look at that piano, the one thing that comes into my mind is this. Somebody had to make that. Somebody cut the wood. Somebody clipped the strings. Somebody chiseled out the ivory. Somebody put the screws in. Somebody brought that into being. Somebody made that. It just didn't happen. And when I look at this world, God says, I want to tell you, hey, 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 I'm here. Look at this world. This just didn't happen. It just didn't inch closer and closer together. And then there was a big old explosion, and everything that there is happened. No, sir. God created this. God revealed himself to us through the skies. God revealed himself to us through the scripture. Well, aren't you glad we got a Bible? You want to know what God likes? Read your Bible. You want to know what God's against? Read your Bible. You want to know what God loves? Read your Bible. You want to know what makes God happy? Read your Bible. You want to know what makes God sad? Read your Bible. You want to know what God delights in? Read your Bible. You want to know what God gets angry about? Read your Bible. God's given us a Bible. You know why? To reveal himself to us. But the greatest way God revealed himself to us was not through the skies or through the Scripture. The greatest way that God revealed himself to us was through the Son. Jesus came into this world, ladies and gentlemen, as God to reveal what God is like to you and to me. I said a moment ago, Jesus revealed to us that God exists. You say, preacher, how can you be sure? Well, I got the testimony of the skies. I've got the testimony of the Scripture. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest ways I know that God exists is Jesus. Jesus said God exists. Jesus came into this world to prove to you and me that there is a God. There is a God. You say, preacher, I, I struggle with that. I've seen a lot of bad stuff happen. I've struggled. I've had a lot of troubles in my life. I really struggle with that. I get it. I understand. Boy, I'll tell you what. Bad things happening in our life cause us sometimes to doubt the existence of God. But I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of the Word of God, there's a God up there in heaven that loves you very, very much. And He exists this morning. He proved to us the existence of God, but He also proved to us the essence of God. Jesus came down here and showed us 
what God was like. What is God like? What did Jesus do? Jesus cared about hurting people. What did Jesus do? Jesus loved the down and out. What did Jesus do? Jesus proved God's love by dying for you and for me on Calvary. Oh, yeah, friend. Theology of Christmas says Jesus is God. That's revelation. Well, I'll tell you what. When Jesus came to this world, he revealed God to us. So number one, would you say it with me? Jesus is God. No, 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 no. You didn't get it. Say it with me. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He was God. He forever shall be God. And He is God. Jesus is God. That's revelation. But let's take this a second step further. Not only the theology of Christmas do we understand that Jesus is God. That's revelation. But number two, we come to understand this. Jesus is man. That's representation. You see, Jesus, who is God, lowered himself. According to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, lowered himself lower than the angels. Now, you've got to understand, God is a God of order. All right? So what we have is we have God. God manifest in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. By the way, not Father, not Son, not Holy Ghost. It's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. All three co-equal. There's God. And right after God in God's order is the angels. And right after angels comes man. And right after man comes animal. And right after animal comes plant life. And right after plant life comes cootie life. So when Jesus came into this world, he lowered himself, stepped lower. He was God. Lowered himself to become lower than the angels and became a man. Can you just imagine that? Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is man. Jesus came into this world. And let me, I, got, I know I say this every Christmas, but it just, I got to say it one more time. The mystery and the miracle of the manger is that God was able to transform deity into dust without discarding the deity or damaging the dust. Unbelievable. I, every Christmas I say that, I think, wow! What did God do? God lowered himself. God, in the form of Jesus, came into this world lower than man, but he did not discard the deity, and he did not damage the dust. Jesus was God who became man. Can I say it like this? Can I tell you what Jesus was? Jesus was God with skin on. You remember the little girl that went to bed one night? And while she was laying in bed, it came up a terrible storm. And she started crying. You know, when you're little and the big claps of thunder and the lightning and the, the street lights and the trees, the limbs are blowing and the monsters are on the wall and they're going back and forth. She was scared. She started crying, Mama! Her mama went in there and she said, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Mama, I'm scared. She said, Honey, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. Uh, Jesus is in here with you. She said, Mama, I know that. And her mama got her settled down, went back to bed. A few minutes later, another big clap of thunder, more lightning, wind blowing, monsters on the wall. Mama! She went in there again. Mama, I'm scared. 
Honey, you don't have to be afraid. God is with you. Happened a third time. Third time she went in there, her mama said, Honey, you don't have to be afraid. God is, 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 is with you. God is, is going to take care of you. She said, Mama, I know God's here, but I want somebody in here with skin on. <laughs> Can I tell you what happened at Bethlehem? God put skin on. That's exactly what's right. Uh, look at verse 14. Here it is. And the Word. Who's the Word? Say it with me. Who's the Word? So I could really read it like this without doing any, any damage to the Scripture. Verse 14, And Jesus, God, that we already discovered back in verse 1, was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, in the theology of Christmas, Jesus is not only God, but in the theology of, uh, of Christmas, Jesus is man. Now, why did Jesus come as God? Well, look in our text. Look back in verse number 3 and 4 and following, because if you look at verse 4, we're told that he came as life. Look at verse 4. In him was life. And then if you look down at verse number 5, we're told he came as light. And the light. And then if you look over at verse number 29, the Bible says he's the lamb. So there you have the threefold purpose of Jesus coming into the world. Watch this. He came as life. He came as light, and he came as the Lamb. Now, you say, preacher, what does that all have to do with me? Well, watch it like this. As life, as coming into this world to, to give life, he takes care of our deadness. You see, the truth of the matter is everybody that's born into this world is born dead. You say, preacher, how could you say that? That's ludicrous. No, I'm not talking about physically, but everybody that's born into this world is born spiritually dead. That's why the Bible said in Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You've got to admit this, friend. When you and I are born into this world, we're born with our, our antenna toward God is broke. I mean, man, listen, we have no desire for spiritual things. Why is it that people run out and destroy their life with drugs and drink and all kind of uh, terrible things? Why do they do that? Because, man, they're dead on the inside. They sang in a moment ago. They're looking for something to satisfy them on the inside. And friend, I'm here to tell you, only Jesus can take care of the deadness of our lives. He is the life, and when he comes in to abide with us, he brings life. I heard about this little boy. His daddy was going to his, uh, they were having the preacher over for lunch uh, after church, and so the, the wife said, honey, go, go kill me a chicken. So he took, he said, son, come with me, watch his son, this little boy. He took him out there, and he chased him chickens around. Finally, he got one. He picked it up. He wrung its neck a little bit. Took it over there to stump, got an axe, cut his head off. That, throwed that chicken on the ground. That chicken took off running again. That little boy said, Daddy, that chicken's dead. Don't even know it. <laughs> Can I tell you what's wrong, with the, what's wrong with people, humanity? We're dead and don't even know it. But aren't you glad that there was somebody who came into this world as, as God, yet man, in order to take care of the problem of our deadness? He's the life. He's the life. And he takes care of the problem of deadness. But notice in verse number 5, he's the light, and he takes care of the problem of darkness. I'm telling you something. Humanity is dwelling in deep, dark, spiritual darkness. What do we need? We need somebody who will come and shine the light for us. Amen. 
shine the light for us. And that's what the Bible said Jesus came. He came as a light to shine in the darkness. But I'm telling you, our world is, is advanced technologically speaking. We're advanced uh, uh, medically speaking. We're advanced in, in all kind of great things that we can do today. But I'm telling you, man is still dwelling in spiritual darkness. And the answer for our darkness is the light of God's Son. But then he came as a lamb. Now, if the life takes care of our deadness and the light takes care of our darkness, the lamb takes care of our dirtiness. Jesus came as the lamb of God to shed his blood. You know why? Because we're dirty. Can I say it like this? I, I wrote it down. Listen, our, our minds are dirty because of our deliberations. Our hands are dirty because of our deeds. Our hearts are dirty because of our desires. We're dirty. But aren't you glad that there's a divine detergent called the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse us from the dirtiness of our sin? Jesus came as a representative. He came into this world as light, life, and lamb in order to take care of the problems that we face in our world today. So watch this now. We're done. So Jesus is God, revelation. Jesus is man, representation. But we're done. Six minutes still. There's a third thing about the theology of Christmas, and that's this. Jesus is the God-man. That's reconciliation. You see, in order for you and I to be saved, we, had to be, we, we have to be reconciled to God. That phrase, reconciled, brought back. Make peace with God. You ever heard anybody say, have you ever made peace with God? Have you made your peace with God? Or something like that. Well, let me tell you something. When man is born in this world, he is born at enmity, at distance, at variance. Man is really born into this world as an enemy of God. And the only way that mankind, who is the enemy of God, because we're everything that God is not, God is pure, holy, just, we're everything that he's not. And the only way the two sides can ever be brought together is for there to be a mediator between us. There has to be somebody who, who, who for lack of a better way to say it, there has to be somebody who's a friend of God. There's got to be somebody. There's got to be somebody that's a friend of the offended there's got to be somebody who is a friend of the offender that can stand in between and bring them together. There has to be a mediator. Now watch this. Look up on the screens. Watch this. The Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 4, who will have all men to be saved? L let me read it like this. God will have all men to be saved. You say, preacher, who exactly does God want to be saved? All. You say, preacher, wait a minute now. That's got to be the Republicans. Well, yeah. But he also loves Democrats. You say, preacher, that's got to be, that's got to be the blue devils. You're right. But he loves the Tar Heels about that much. You say, preacher, it's got to be the Red Sox. He wants all the Red Sox fans to be saved. Yes, sir. But he also, and this hurts me to say this, he also likes the Yankee fans as well.
He'll have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now watch this. Look at verse 5. For there is one God. Say it with me. How many gods are there? There's one God. There's one God. Now if that's true, then Buddha's not a God. If that be true, then Allah's not a God. If that be true, Confucius is not a God. If that be true, there's only one God. There is one God. Say it with me. One God. One. Boy, we've lost that in America. We have lost that. We have become a polytheistic society. There is only, we should be a monotheistic society. There's only one God. There is one God, and then read it, and there is one mediator, one go-between, between God and man. Only way to get through God is the man, Christ Jesus. Am I preaching truth? And the Bible said this, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So what I'm saying is this. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is man. But Jesus Christ is God-man so that he can reach up and grab the holy hand of an offended God. You understand our sin offends God, right? What Those old cuss words we use, boy, that's highly offensive to God. Hey, when you step out and become unfaithful to your spouse, that highly offends God. Hey, when you take your drugs and your alcohol or whatever it is you do, when you do that, it highly offends God. There's got to be somebody who can reach up and grab the hand of the offended and thank God reach down into the muck and mire of our sin and grab the hand of the offender. And there's got to be somebody who can bring them back together again. And that's the God-man. That's what Jesus does. He is the mediator between God and man. Aren't you glad that we got a mediator, a Savior? Watch this, and I'm done now. I'm done. Listen, I'm a, I, I love history. And so one of the things that I do is, is I read this day in history. This day in history, I have it. It comes up on my computer, and every day it tells me of the, the events of the past. In, in his, history, historically speaking, and I, I do that. I read World War II books. I've read all the uh, Bill O'Reilly books, Killing So-and-So. I love killing movies and stuff like that. I'm warped and twisted. But anyway, listen to this. February 3rd, 1943. That don't mean a thing to us. Most of us in here probably wasn't even alive on that particular day. That's been 76 years ago, February 3rd, 1943. Let me tell you what happened. A United States transport ship by the name of SS Dorchester set sail from America going to, uh, going to England. It was transporting 900, transporting 904 U.S. Army servicemen from here to England. These were the days of World War II. As the SS Dorchester was making its way through the North Atlantic, it went through what they called a, a U-boat alley. And that's where the Germans had all their submarines were lined up in that U-boat alley. They called that, and most ships that went through there, they had to go in great, great uh, bunches of ships going through there because they just knew they were going to be fired upon by these U-boats. Well, as the SS Dorchester was making its way through the North Atlantic, a German U-boat, and they didn't have names for them, they just had numbers, so it was German U-boat 223, 223, came out of nowhere, 
fired two 12-foot-long torpedoes into the side of the SS Dorchester. And in a matter of just 20 minutes, that ship sank. 20 minutes, that ship went down. What that ship is known for, though, is somebody called or something called the Four Chaplains. I don't know if you've ever read the story of the Four Chaplains. There were four chaplains on board the SS Dorchester. George L. Fox, Clark Poling, John Washington, and Alexander V. Good. These four chaplains were on this boat, and that thing was going down. And what these four chaplains are noted for is these four chaplains gave up their life vest so that American servicemen could be saved. So these four chaplains died, gave their life vest to young army men, so that they could live while the four chaplains gave their life on the SS Dorchester. 904 men went into the water. Only 230 came out. The rest of them perished. Greatest, greatest loss Navy-wise of World War II as far as in the North Atlantic. 904 men went in the water, 230 came out. But four chaplains, and that's what they're known for, that boat's known for, four chaplains took their life vest off, gave them to young American servicemen so that they could live, and those four chaplains lost their life. Now, you say, preacher, thank you for telling us that. What's that got to do with us? Let me tell you what Christmas is. Christmas is all about God coming into the world, taking off his life vest, and giving it to us so that we don't have to perish. That's what it's all about. Christmas is all about God loving you and God loving me so much that he didn't want us to perish, so he came into this world. He said, let me give you a life vest. I'll die in your place. I'll give my life so you can go free and live. And friend, I want to tell you something. If you miss that, you miss the message of Christmas. Jesus died so that we could be saved. Amen. The theology. Jesus is God. Yeah. Jesus is man. But he's more than that. He is the God-man who is the mediator between God and man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we've got the theology of Christmas. We got it down. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. 100% God. 100% man. And, and, as, and as that, Jesus is the God-man. And he did all of that in order to reconcile us, to become the mediator between the offended and the offender. And on these days of Christmas, we sure are glad that we not only have a Savior, we have a mediator, one who can bring us back to God. Now, our heads are bowed this morning, our eyes are closed, and we got to go. But I just wonder this morning, do you know Jesus has there ever been a time, I'm not asking if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or if you've been confirmed. You know, none of that stuff matters. The question is, do you know Jesus? The question is, is that little baby that was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, has he ever been born in your heart? Have you ever opened your heart and said, God, I am an offender. I have offended you. I am a sinner. I have done things that are wrong. God, I know I've hurt you, but I accept your son, Jesus, 
and Jesus can get you into heaven. He is the mediator. He can bring you back to God. Now our heads are bowed. That's as simple as I know how to say it. If you're going to go to God, if you're going to, if you're going to pray and get your prayers answered, if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you've got to have somebody that can get you in. And his name is Jesus. Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to go to heaven when you die? Then you must have Jesus. He's God, he's man, but he's the God-man, the theology of Christmas. Now, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. Do you need Jesus? Have you got things going on in your life this morning that, that ought not to?